What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to the Final Four. It is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And we are back with our preseason Big Ten breakdown. Uh, and today, Rod, we're going to we'll start off with um, Ohio State. Um, so the Buckeyes come in off a 21-10 and 10 record uh, overall, 11-9 and 9 in the Big Ten. Um, they started off really strong last year, winning nine games in a row. Uh, they got a blowout win versus Villanova. Uh, and then also a win against UNC, which didn't turn out to be as, as big as, um, maybe they thought at the time. Um, and they were being, uh, you know, right on the verge of being ranked number one. Uh, and then Big Ten season came, uh, and they took a double digit loss to Minnesota, uh, and then just started off really, um, struggling in the Big Ten the first, um, you know, part of the season there. Uh, what, what, do you see from big uh, Ohio State this year, Chris Holtman? You know, it was kind of a parallel. I think we mentioned this in in our Michigan preview. It was kind of a parallel to Michigan's season in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. except that Ohio State started off with higher expectations. If I recall correctly, I think I had them third in the preseason in the league behind MSU and Maryland. Yeah. And so there were high expectations for them. And by that measure, they didn't quite meet them, but it was relatively close to the kind of season you would have expected. They started out like a house of fire. Um, as you say, you know, some of those wins a lot, again, a lot like Michigan, their win against Villanova that, that pretty much held up UNC. It didn't. Um, and they were right there on the verge of being ranked number one in the country, and then came that loss to Minnesota. They did manage to bounce back and get a win over Kentucky, but um, after that, but then they they lost a neutral court game to West Virginia and hit the skids in Big Ten play. As you said, they were two and six, mm-hmm. which is exactly where Michigan was after eight games. So at that point, you really had to wonder, you know, where what direction are they going? But again, like Michigan. Uh, they rallied and, you know, ended up putting together a pretty nice season. You know, 11 and 9 in last year's Big Ten is pretty decent. Yeah. It was, again, it was a, it wasn't quite where I'd expected them to finish, but I think that teams like Wisconsin and Illinois were a little better. Uh, certainly Penn State was a little more competitive. Rutgers was a little more competitive. So I don't know if I believe it was as much a case of Ohio State not meeting expectations, 
as much as it was, the league was a little better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but still, uh, you look at the metrics, and they were great. They were eighth in Ken Palm and 16th in the net. So even with that 11-9 and nine conference record, they not only were going to make the tournament, they were going to have a decent seed. As long as they didn't face plant in the Big Ten tournament, meaning they, they got at least a win, uh-huh. um, you know, I think like a four seed, a five seed for sure was in the offing, you know. And if who knows, if they had a real run and won the thing, they might have even been able to play themselves up into a three, although I think that would have been a little bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. But, but still, all in all, probably roughly about where you figured they would be, maybe a little bit of an underachiever, but it was a roller coaster to get there. Um, you look at the numbers, it was as Holtman's teams have tended to be, they were balanced. 13th rated offense, 19th best defense. On offense, they were carried by the three ball. They shot it extremely well. They actually weren't very good inside the arc, but they, they shot three so well. And as we talk about it, you're going to hear us reference a lot of guys who were at or above the 40% mark. When you do that, man, it, it makes up for a lot of other sins. Um, as your, as your dog would attest to. <laughs> uh, but it really, but it really does. Um, and, uh, and I, and I think that was the strength clearly of what Ohio State did last year. On defense, they were really, um, poor against the three, but really, really good against the two. And normally that's going to, that's going to carry over to being an effective defensive team overall because, to some extent, as we've talked about many times, three-point percentage against is kind of a luck stat. Um, I think his teams, if Holtman's done one thing consistently well since being at Ohio State, I think it's been finding ways to generate consistently good, reliable defense out of them. And and it's a defensive approach I think Michigan State fans can respect because they don't gamble. They're not trying to pressure anybody. They just mm-hmm. kind of strap it on guard you you know mostly they're in man and they just say let's get it on and their their idea is they want you taking shots maybe out of your comfort zone or that you don't really want to take and they're going to bank on the fact that they keep you under what you normally shoot and for the most part they did that Mm -hmm. so um they've had quite a, a wild ride even up until recently with the roster um, yeah, but some of the things we did knew, uh, know were going to happen. Uh, they lose Caleb Wesson, uh, the six nine center who left a year early after his third year. Um, Fourteen points a game, nine point three rebounds. Uh, he shot forty five from the floor, but forty three percent from three and seventy three from the line. Yeah, I, I think he did two things last year that made him an improved player. And, you know, as we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about, last season was an all-timer kind of year in terms of quality play at the five spot. It seemed like every team, if you had a guy, some of the guys we've talked about already, like the kid at Northwestern or, um, you know, even a John Teske at Michigan, let's say, they were very much afterthoughts. And yet you look at their numbers, and that guy had a pretty good year. Ryan Young, that's the kid at Northwestern. I was trying to think of his name. Um, Wesson it was a bigger name than those guys, and, and I think he had a really good year, but it kind of got lost in the shuffle because of just how good guys like Garza and Oturu and Smith and Xavier Tillman were. 
But you look at Wesson's numbers, really good. And as I say, two areas where I thought he had the best year of his career, that three-point shot, you mentioned it. When you are as good a post player as he was, and you can also step away from the rim and shoot 43% from three, that's that's a weapon. I mean, if if we were talking 15 years ago, uh-huh. we might be talking Caleb Wesson uh, as definitely as a first-rounder, if not, you know, a lottery type. Um <laughs> Because he's just, in in terms of the old school ways that the game used to be played, um, he would fit based on just those things alone, just how strong an offensive weapon he was. The other thing he did a lot better was earlier in his career, he really would put himself in the hole by taking dumb fouls. You know, there's one thing, it's one thing when you're in foul trouble, you know, just because of bad fortune, whatever, bad calls. But when you consistently take chances that put you know, like the guy in recent Michigan State history that I think is a good parallel for that is Gavin Schilling. Yeah. Gavin Schilling would put himself in foul trouble by trying to make, say, a 10% play on a rebound attempt, meaning a play where he might have a 10% chance of coming up with the ball because he's going way out of his area. He's kind of flailing, going hard. Well, Wesson used to do a lot of that stuff or just dumb, you know, slap, slapping down at the ball where you know you're probably going to get called even if you don't touch him because it looks bad. He used to do a lot of that stuff. And I thought last year he cleaned quite a bit of it up. He, he did foul out three times, but I think consistently he was in better shape to give them big minutes. So he's he's a big loss, but as you kind of mentioned at the outset, it, it wasn't unexpected. I think the general consensus was he was likely going to be gone. I think Ohio State, whether they were prepared for it or not, is is one thing, but I think they knew it was likely coming. It had a lot of parallels to Michigan State the year prior with Nick Ward, where you just kind of knew, all right, no, no matter what actually happens on the court, he's probably done uh, not being a professional, you know, and I'm not sure where Wesson's going to end up. I, I guess I wouldn't rule out the NBA long-term for him, but I, I have a hard time envisioning it because although he's made real strides with his body, with his conditioning, I just don't think his footwork is ever going to be good enough that his lateral quickness is ever going to be good enough to be the kind of defender that you need to be in the NBA. But I, I think he can carve out a nice career for himself overseas. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you got Andre Wesson, his brother, six foot six. Um, he averaged nine point two points a game, forty six from the floor, forty two from three, and eighty from the line. Yeah, you know, he's he's a guy who really became a favorite of mine. You know, I, I've, I've said it to this point in our previews, and I'll continue talking about it as we as we move through the rest of them. I think an area that's really important. For a good, to be a good team is to have guys who fit in those jack of all trades positions. You know, they, they might not be spectacular in any one area. They're not going to wow you athletically. They might not be a knockdown jump shooter, you know, whatever it is, but they, they do enough things well that you look up at the end of the game and like, man, that guy made a contribution. I saw Andre Wesson. I think I've told this story before. I saw him in AAU when he was a teammate of boards and Two Ward was the only guy on that team, unusually for all Ohio Red at that time because they're such a good program. But at that time, the only guy on the on the squad who had high major offers was Nick Ward. In fact, he just committed to MSU 
the week before. But there were two guys that they had on the wing. One was Andre Wesson and one was E.B. Watson. If you remember him, he started his career out of Michigan and um, has since transferred to Dayton. And he's been okay as a player, but not as good as Andre Wesson. I I didn't think there was any way in hell Andre Wesson was going to be a Big Ten player based on what I saw from him. I just did not see it. And it took him a minute, but he eventually figured it out. You look at the numbers, they're really impressive. You know, 9.2 points a game is an eye-popping, but 46, 42, 80 shooting, that's good. He was a decent rebounder. He became a very good and very versatile defender. Um, there's just, there's not much you can, you can bag on in terms of him or what he made himself into. Not a superstar, but man, if you want to be a winner, you better have some guys like him. Yeah. They'll, they'll miss him. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and then they got uh, DJ Carton left uh, in the middle of last year, um, played about 20 games before sitting out and then eventually transferring to Marquette. Um, but he was a kind of a guy who got a lot of talk um, early in the season, especially leading into the year. Um, what what happened with him? Um, it's unclear, <laughs> I think. it It really is in terms of, in terms of what went on, um, on the court, he was really effective. I mean, when he played, and he played in, what was it, about 20 games? Yeah. Double-digit score, almost three assists per game, 43, 40, 70, I'm sorry, 48, 40, 76 shooting, so he shot the ball well. He was seen as a high-impact recruit, guy who was expected to play major minutes right away, and he did that, and he was really effective. And then he left the team for a while. There were some, it was for mental health purposes and it didn't get specified beyond that. He ended up making the decision after the season to transfer and he's ended up at Marquette. Um, I haven't followed it. I'm assuming that he's eligible since it seems like everybody's eligible immediately. But, um, but in any event, a loss for Ohio State for sure in the sense that they thought they had a guy who would probably be like a two year player. And and a, a guy capable of being all Big Ten, and he certainly would have been that if he had stayed there, um, you know, and was back this season. We'd be talking about him as a guy who you know would be a potential All Conference player, assuming that his head was straight. But it just didn't uh, it didn't pan out for whatever reason. Not not quite sure why. I don't think it's ever been made public, which is probably for the best mm-hmm. um, in terms of privacy concerns and all that. But a loss, but yet at the same time, they've known for a while. It wasn't like they woke up in April and, wow, we thought we were going to have DJ Carton forever. You know, they knew in the middle of the se- last season that this was a spot they were probably going to have to address, and they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they lose M- Luther Muhammad, who started 28 games last year, uh, had seven points a game, 38 from the floor, 35 from three, and 85 from the line. Um, and he elects to transfer. Yeah, that was a shocker to me. That was, that one was really, that caught me by surprise. And, and, and I would say that for two reasons. One, he played a lot. <laughs> he was essentially a, a two year starter, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so when you look at that, you, you have to toss out playing time as an issue. Um, you know, he was getting playing time. Um, 
you know, not not an issue there where you say, well, he just wanted more minutes. Um, so I think that was, you know, uh, certainly uh, uh, not not something that you would have expected would cause a problem. And then I think secondarily, uh, you know, every program, every coach, when he's trying to create his own thing, I think usually you see them with a guy who ends up sort of as the face of the franchise, so to speak. You know, a guy, it doesn't necessarily have to be the superstar, but a guy who kind of embodies what the program's going to be about. And, and that, you know, if you go back to Izzo's early stage, I would say that's, a lot of people might say that's Mateen Cleaves. I would actually say it was Antonio Smith because he came first. Uh-huh. And, and he really established that toughness, rebounding, defense, and a mentality that was going to apply. I thought Luther Muhammad was that guy for Chris Holtman. I really did. I mean, he, he played with great toughness. He was good defensively. He was versatile. Maybe even a little better offensive player than I think people expected him to be. Um, so he had a lot of positives, and yet he elected to transfer. He ended up at Arizona State which might seem weird on the surface, but the thing to keep in mind is he's a New Jersey kid. Bobby Hurley, Arizona State's coach, of course, is a New Jersey legend. He has all kinds of recruiting contacts there. I have to believe that played in. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing I can think of, and it's purely a guess, is that I know in watching Hurley's teams at Arizona State, they are a lot more freewheeling in their style than Chris Holtman's are offensively in particular, you know, and maybe Luther Muhammad figured if I want to play in the league, I got to play for a coach. that's going to let me jack shots. And I I don't know. That's strictly a guess, you know, kind of the, the old Tory Jackson, let me get my boogie on (laughs) thing. It's all the only thing that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway. Uh, And then Alonzo Gaffney, who was, uh, also a fairly highly regarded freshman, although didn't play a whole lot last year, just a point, 1.8 points a game and 1.4 rebounds in 17 games. Uh, but he transfers out um, and really not to anywhere special, Rod. He's on the Juco level. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, um, and we, we've talked about this before here, and it won't be the last time we talk about it. Particularly with big men, there's a lot of projection that goes into rankings. And guys like Gaffney, much as with Michigan State, a guy like Marcus Bingham is another example. Mm-hmm. Guys who are real long, so they're tall, they've got good wingspan, and they look like they have the makings of a skill set. Uh, meaning they show that they can hit a jumper. Um, they showed they might be able to handle the ball a little bit, whatever it is. They tend to get the benefit of the doubt because the assumption is that they will be able to make strides in terms of their physical development and their skill set development catching up with their potential. Uh-huh. Gaffney was really highly recruited. I mean, Michigan State was in on him, would have taken a commitment from him, absolutely. Um, but Ohio State got him. He's an Ohio kid, and I think he probably expected that he would play a big role early on. Ohio State certainly had minutes available, theoretically at least, 
um, at the four, and yet he just was unable to claim uh, consistent playing time. And what ended up resulting from that is, you know, as uh, as we say, a transfer decision, probably the right move if he was that frustrated. So going the JUCO route, you would assume that means that next year he's going to end up. And I would I would imagine that a, a high major probably takes a flyer on him, mm-hmm. um, especially if he shows something at the JUCO level because, you know, with athleticism and length and some semblance of a skill set, man, people will always give you chances. I mean, we talk about that with Marcus Bingham, right? Yeah. It's like he's, for all the inconsistency that he's shown, he's still going to get his cracks at bat, you know? Um, and, and Gaffney will get somebody. I don't know who it'll be, but I would be surprised if he doesn't get another turn at, at the high major level. Um, but it didn't work out for him at Ohio State. Mm. Uh, so then players that they have returning, uh, we'll start with Dwayne Washington, 6'4", Grand Rapids uh, guy. Uh, 11 and a half points per game, 40 from the floor, 39 from three, and 83 from the line. Yeah, uh, a, a big season for him. And he played a lot as a freshman, too. The difference was he didn't shoot very well. And that was somewhat surprising because that was always his strength. You know, he was, as I'm sure many of our listeners remember, he was a high school teammate for three years of Xavier Tillman's. Um, he was a kid who, I don't know if he set the record, but if he didn't, he had to be awfully close to making the most unofficial visits to Michigan State without getting an offer. <laughs> I mean, he was a guy who for two years seemed right on the edge. But the, the word was, I think there was a lot of hesitation as to what kind of defender he would become. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, MSU had two decisions that they made in that class. Guys like... Lawyer and Kith here committed way early, and, and Aaron Henry came. But I think there were two decisions that got made. One was opting to go with Marcus Bingham over Trevion Williams. You know, and you can debate that one, of course, but I understand it at the time because there were concerns about Trevion Williams and, you know, how badly his work ethic, how badly he wanted to get into shape, how willing he was going to be to do the things necessary to, reshape his body he's made good on that at Purdue and good for him and then the other one was Dwayne Washington versus Gabe Brown and again I don't think you definitely say Dwayne Washington has done more in his career than Gabe has from a production standpoint Gabe's won a little more Um, but I don't think the final chapter has been written on that one but I do think that Dwayne Washington has at least proven to be an adequate defender. And then last year, the shot came back. Uh-huh. And if Dwayne Washington's hitting threes, he's a weapon for you. And he did. 39%, that's where they need him. Mm-hmm. And and they really need him this year because they've got point production to replace. And he's going to be one of the guys they turn to, for sure, to help make up what they've lost um, they'd love him to be more versatile as a scorer. I don't know how much more versatile his offensive game is going to get. Um, I don't ever see him being a guy who really takes it to the rim with abandon. You know, he's kind of a jump shooter. That's what he is. Decent passer, and he's been a passable defender. So nice career, and I won't be surprised if his scoring numbers, you know, bump up three, four points a game mm-hmm. this year. I could see him as a 14, 15-point-a-night guy. 
Okay. Uh, and then they bring back C.J. Walker, six-foot uh, senior point guard, um, who averaged 29 minutes per game last year, scored 8.7 points, uh, three-and-a-half um, assists a game, uh, shot 43 from the floor, 32 from three, and 81 from the line. Um, but kind of important with uh, DJ Carton leaving. He's he's really important. You know, again, when, when Carton left, like the whole deal ended up on C.J. Walker's plate, and he did a reasonably nice job. I, you know, he's, he's not a guy who you look at and say, well, that's an all-Big Ten kind of player. But, um, but I think he is a guy who um, is the kind of player you can win with at that position. He's really good defensively, and he's at least decent offensively. He's never been a big-time knockdown shooter, but he's okay, 32% from three. The good news is he doesn't take them. 40% of his overall shots came from deep. So that's not, you know, if he was shooting 32%, and 70% of his shots were coming from out there, well, you got a bigger problem. Yeah. He's at least smart enough to play within himself. He's pretty good at getting to the rim. You know, he, he there was their leader in assists, three and a half a game. Plays within himself. He's solid, and he's, I think he's really good defensively. So that's enough. You'd mm-hmm. rather have a superstar, but in the absence of that, I want somebody who I can rely on. And he's somebody that I think has proven you can rely on. Yeah. Uh, and then they bring back Kyle Young. Um, 6'8", senior, 7.5 points a game last year, 5.8 rebounds, which was second uh, on the team, in about 24 minutes a game. So, But he yeah, has struggled he, with some injuries. He has, and but man, when he's healthy, that's that's a big, big deal for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think that uh, I think that he's working um, toward that. I think he was relatively healthy last year. Um, you know, played a lot, 24 minutes a game. The production isn't wow kind of stuff, but seven and a half points, 5.8 boards, which was second on the team behind Wesson. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing you like about him is he's a tough kid, plays physically, and his motor is revved as high as anybody in the conference. I mean, he's a guy... If I, I was thinking about this, if I had to pick one guy who was most likely in any given Big Ten game to feature an out of nowhere offensive rebound put back dunk, <laughs> yeah. it would probably be Kyle Young because he's just a guy who makes those kind of plays because he doesn't ever stop moving. Yep, like a Brian um, Cardinal type. Yeah, yeah, not that good, but yeah. He just his 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 um his motor doesn't quit. Now the the thing about him, he's another guy. You know, it's funny we go over their roster for all the focus that fans have on Michigan versus Michigan State. The reality is Michigan State and Ohio State seem to tangle a lot more and have for years on the recruiting paths. And Kyle Young was another kid that had a Michigan State offer, and he committed to Butler. And then when Holtman decided to move to Ohio State, he followed him to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing that he was supposed to be in high school that he has not made good on, and at this point, given that he's a senior, I'm not holding my breath waiting for it, is 
there was thought that he would be a true stretch for. So I had, when he was being recruited, I had in mind visions of, you know, an A.J. Granger type. Uh-huh. A guy who can rebound, a guy who can defend, a guy who could step away from the rim and hit threes. What did he shoot, 16% last year from three? Yeah. Um, yeah, rough. You know, now, again, to his credit, he plays within himself. He shot 59% overall, so you're not seeing him take a lot of those. But if he ever added that to his repertoire, you would have a guy who might threaten for some all Big Ten kind of uh, recognition, you know? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that, so it limits him to be a really good, important contributor rather than a focal point. But, you know, you need contributors too, so. Yeah. Uh, and then EJ Liddell, uh, 6'8 sophomore who uh, got 6.7 points a game, 3.8 rebounds, uh, in just under 17 minutes a game. I think he's heading for a big year. I, I like him. He He's not a guy who wows you at first blush, but he's only 6'8", but he's I forget what his wingspan is. It might be 7 feet. He mm-hmm. plays a lot bigger than that. So he, to me, is the guy who's most obvious to step into Caleb Wesson's minutes. Maybe not quite as many, but he'll. I think he's going to be the starter. And I think he's going to be good. I think he showed real potential last year. He's not a finished product offensively, but he showed a semblance of a decent post game, maybe a little bit of a mid-range game. I don't think he's a three-point threat yet, so that's one thing that distinguishes him. But on the other end, I think he's got far more potential defensively, just because I think he's a better athlete. Uh-huh. I can imagine EJ Liddell eventually being pretty good in pick and roll. Mm-hmm. That was a problem for Caleb Wesson and thus a problem for Ohio State. So I, I think as an overall contributor, if he's made the strides I think he might have made, they might not take as big a step back at that position as people think. He's not going to put up the raw offensive numbers and maybe not even the rebounding numbers that Caleb Wesson did, although I think it will be closer there. Um, but as an overall player, he might not be that far off. I like him. I, I think he's got a future. Uh, and then they bring back Justin Arns, Kyle's brother, uh, six foot six junior now. Um, didn't play a ton last season. Ten minutes, uh, had two point nine points per game, uh, forty two from the floor, forty percent from three, uh, and fifty percent from the line. But yeah, not, not um, a lot of attempts from the line. He's a little different than Kyle. You know, Kyle, when you think back on his career, he did take a lot of threes, and as a senior, he made a lot of them. But what I think of is a guy who is a floor burn guy, you mm-hmm. know, just hustle, threw his body around oftentimes to his home detriment, as we know. Um, great athlete. I mean, way better than I think people realize. You, I know I'll never forget a couple of years ago that dunk he had to essentially win the Florida game. Yeah. At Ford off a loose ball. That was, that was something. Um, his brother doesn't have all those elements. What his brother does have is a three point shot. 40% from three, 57 of his 62 shots last year came from three. So it is fair to say Justin Arns is a three point shooter and that's kind of where it is. Uh-huh. The old, oh, he's not just a shooter cliche. That does not apply to Justin Arns. He is just a shooter. At least he has been. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing is, they need guys on the perimeter. Ohio State has some opportunities available for wings, for guys on the perimeter. 
And, of course, we saw last year one of the reasons they were successful as they were is they made three-point shots. Well, Justin Arnn's the guy who can do that. Um, I think strides he makes defensively will have something to do with whether his role expands or not. But I think there's a chance he plays a little bit more this year because he does that one thing really well. Yeah. Uh, and then they got Ibrahima Diallo, uh, 6'10 sophomore. Uh, didn't play a ton, uh, just 10 games, but he had a, just over a point a game and just under two rebounds. Yeah. Um, Ohio State needs somebody to emerge. I, you know, I mentioned, I think Liddell was the starter, but I don't think Liddell's going to play 35 minutes a night. For mm-hmm. one, I don't know that he'll be able to just due to fouls. Um, so they've got to have somebody step up. And although Diallo is still very much a guy I think you put in the project category, there's an opportunity. It's it's either he or one of their incoming freshmen we'll talk about, Zed Key. Uh, one of those two guys is going to have to play, I think, double-digit minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, probably at least 10 minutes a night. Uh, I don't know what the prognosis is for what kind of strides Diallo has made. I know that this is this is a tough year if you're a guy who needed to make really, really strong improvements. Sometimes it can just happen through individual work, but boy, you would rather have had access to all the things that structured college basketball provides you even over an off season. So I just don't know, you know, what are the odds that the light has turned on for him? Who knows? I, I think if he can come in and be trusted defensively, that could be enough. And again, it's got to be somebody. Yeah. So, so he's in that mix. I don't know whether it's going to end up being him or not, though. Mm-hmm. And Holtman is not a guy who I think has shown to be inclined, you know, to go the Izzo route and say, well, I'm going to play 10 guys and everybody's getting double digit minutes in that group. And, you know, I, I can definitely see Holtman saying, hey, I got minutes for one guy as a backup big man. Uh-huh. And that's it. Uh, and then they bring back Musa Jallo, a 6'5 junior, uh, although he redshirted last year following ankle surgery. Um, yeah. And, and I think there's still um, some questions about him health-wise. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding. I think they're expecting him to start the year, but you just don't know what he is right now. Uh, what he was was a guy who I thought had a future. I, I always thought he had the potential to be um, a guy maybe kind of like um, we talked about Andre Wesson, where he doesn't do any one thing spectacularly, but he checks a lot of boxes, except I think Jallo might have been even a better athlete. Mm. Uh, but ankle surgery, boy, you, you just don't know. How well did he recover from that? Uh, how good is the wheel? You know, you, you just got to see. If he's back to where he was or close to that, he's a guy who definitely helped him on the perimeter because – I think he can be a pretty good individual defender. He gives you a little bit of athletic ability, decent skill set, needs more development there, but decent. Um, so it just remains to be seen how much he contributes. But, again, they need guys on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so for newcomers, uh, they have Seth Towns, who is a 6'8 transfer from Harvard, uh, who – Sort of a hometown guy, although picked Harvard in the end, looking at uh, OSU and Michigan initially. Uh, but yeah. huge year at Harvard. 15.8 points a game, 5.8 rebounds. Um, 
What, what are we looking at with him? Who knows? Because <laughs> it's because it's all about health. Uh-huh. And my understanding is he isn't going to be good to go until January anyway. And then who knows where he's at? You, you mentioned the background. He was a top 100 guy in high school. Ohio State, Michigan both wanted him. They both offered him. Other other high majors were in on him, and he picked Harvard, and he excelled at Harvard. But he's been out two years, okay, due to knee injuries. So this is very much a Joshua Langford type story. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. Um, one, can you get him healthy enough to play at all? And then if you do that, how close is he going to be to the guy he was? If he can be the guy he was, you're talking about a major addition because he's 6'8", can play the four, could play the three, maybe even could play a small ball five. I don't know. Um a lot of versatility, you know, does a, does a lot of different kinds of things. Um, he can shoot some, he's strong inside, he can defend, you know, but it all comes down to health. And I think at this point, you can't assume he's going to be the guy that he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but what percentage of that guy he can be is very much an open question. If he can be that guy, if he comes back in January and he's just going gangbusters, that that's a huge X factor for Ohio State. That could really elevate them and make this pick look low. Mm-hmm. He, he potentially would be that good. I just don't know what the odds are we're going to see that. Uh, and then they get Justice Suing, a transfer from Cal, um, who sat last year out but uh, had a fairly good year at Cal. I mean, fourteen point three points a game, six rebounds uh, as a six six forward. Yeah, really, really a good transfer for Ohio State um, you know when you're when you're a parallel transfer like that high major to high major I expect the numbers will mostly hold up now he was on a bad team at Cal so you can make the argument well coming from a bad team he won't get as much usage at Ohio State you know maybe that'll be true but I think they're expecting him to be a big impact guy, and he's part of the reason I've got them where I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good knack for getting the line. He averaged 5.3 free throw attempts per game his sophomore season. That's great for anybody who isn't a big man. That's great. Mm-hmm. So this is a guy who can get to the rim. Uh, he's not a great jump shooter, but he's passable there. And as I say, the fact that he can get to the basket, create scoring opportunities for himself that way, maybe mitigates less than spectacular jump shooting. I think he can help both as a three-man and an undersized four. I think he'll start at the three because I expect Young will start at the four. But they can use suing at that spot, and they will. Mm. Uh, so I expect a really nice year from him. I think he's going to be one of their top scorers, perhaps their top scorer. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he is. Mm. Uh, and then they bring in a freshman from Georgia, Eugene Brown, uh, 6'6". W- what do we know about him? You know, not a lot. Kind of an under-the-radar recruit. Um, he's seen as a 3-and-D guy, which is what Holtman likes. We said Holtman really likes to use the three-point shot as a weapon. He also wants his teams to be sound defensively. And it seems like Brown is a guy who's capable of, they think is capable of delivering that. I haven't seen him, so I can't really speak to that uh, firsthand. But, uh, you know, what kind of role he has available to him, I think is largely down 
to what upperclassmen do in front of him. Is Jallo healthy? Is uh, Towns healthy? You know, is Arns able to show some improvement defensively? You know, if those guys are able to do those things, then I think the odds of his playing a significant role right away diminish. You know, but who knows? He they, they have a need, so when there's a need, there's always the chance for a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Zed Key, six eight, two hundred and forty five pound freshman um, from New York. Yeah, and he's got a chance. I mentioned, I think they need one guy uh-huh. to play those minutes. So it's either Key or Diallo, and I would probably put my money on Key. Uh, as you mentioned, 6'8", but he's got a 7-foot wingspan, so it's a lot like Liddell. He plays bigger than you might think by seeing him. Uh, his style, he's kind of a traditional big man. Relies mostly on a post game. He's not going to step away from the basket, hit threes. Uh, just kind of a back to basics, meat and potatoes type, um, you know, old, old school type interior player. Uh, but if he can hold up defensively, I think he's got a chance to help, mm. you know, and, and as we keep saying, they need somebody. Uh, and then they get Jimmy Sotos, um, a transfer from Bucknell, uh, who had his waiver approved. Um, so he should some, help a little bit at the point, right? And and maybe off the ball too. Yeah, this was big because Ohio State had another transfer, a grad transfer, Abel Porter from Utah State. He was a a starter, a multi-year starter at Utah State. Not a superstar, but a guy that they could look at and say, you know, we talked about when Carton left, okay, they knew they'd have to address that position, have somebody else besides C.J. Walker that could run the offense. Mm -hmm. And they brought in Porter. And then uh, this is like two, three weeks ago, uh, during a physical, uh, it was determined that he had a heart condition that has forced him to retire from basketball completely. In the meantime, Sotos was a transfer from Bucknell, multi-year starter there, but not a grad transfer. And his initial uh, pass of getting a waiver to be eligible immediately was denied. Well, there aren't many denials happening this year, so mm-hmm. you had to wonder, wow, maybe there's something extreme here that's causing him to not get a waiver. Well, they appealed it, and he just got approved last week, so very fortuitous for Ohio State that he did. Uh, he was point guard at Bucknell, and you know those who might remember, uh, a couple of years back uh, in 2018, Michigan State played Bucknell in the first round of the tournament and kind of had to struggle with them a little bit before beating them. Sotos was on that team. Yeah. Um, and Bucknell's a good program at the mid-major level, really good. So he comes from an environment of winning. His numbers were really good last year, 11.5 points, 3.9 assists on 41, 37, 80 shooting. Yeah, he's transferring up, but Ohio State isn't asking him, I don't think, to play heavy-duty minutes. I would imagine he'll play some on the ball backing up C.J. Walker. They probably have about – you know, eight to ten minutes they need to cover there. And then he probably squeezes in some more minutes off the ball because he's proven to at least have the potential to be a decent shooter. And at 6'3", he's got enough size. So that gives Ohio State a little more cushion on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about guys like Jallo where health's an issue. Arns, can he do anything but shoot? Is Brown ready as a freshman? A guy like Sotos just gives you another option there. So I think he'll play. It's just a matter of how big the role is. Uh, but I would expect double-digit minutes for sure. Uh, 
And then they get a recent addition um, from from a guy that we've talked about a little bit in Michigan State recruiting, Michi Johnson from Cleveland, who reclassifies uh, and comes in. So, but is he going to be able to play right away, or are we looking at in January? Okay. In January, they, he's reclassifying. Just made this decision a few days ago, and is going to be eligible in January. So that's a big addition because they they do think he's a guy who can help them. I don't know how much this year. But it's another option, you know. He's a point guard from a, a well-known basketball family in, in Michigan, plays for Garfield Heights High School, which has produced a lot of good players over the years. Uh, six foot one, um, decent quickness. He, he does have an ACL injury in 2019 in his, in his history. Um, so you don't know how much that might still be an issue in terms of athletic burst, but, uh, that's kind of what his game is predicated on. So, um, he's a guy who could squeeze his way into minutes. I could imagine it down the line, particularly if they're not happy with whatever they're getting out of the position to that point. But I would, gone to my head, I would expect a more limited role for him as a freshman. Mm-hmm. The value for him and for Ohio State is more just getting him exposure to all of that, you know, this year to training, to coaching, all of those things as a freshman, right? Yeah. Well, that's it for the roster. Um, so, you know, they they have lost quite a bit, uh, Rod, with the Wessons and Carton uh, and Mohammed transferring out. Uh, what's your kind of overall take on them coming in? You know, I, I, obviously we've got them seventh, right? So that means in this league I expect you to be in the tournament mix. Uh, and I do with Ohio State. I think they'll be in the, in the mix for a bid firmly. I, I could see – you know, I've got this team kind of in a, a position with, in a group rather, with IU, and we'll talk about next, spoiler alert, and uh, and Michigan and Maryland, who I have just behind them. And I kind of put a blanket over all of them and say I could imagine any finish among that group. So I could mm-hmm. see Ohio State slipping back from here. I could actually, especially if somebody like Towns is able to go, I could see them being even a little bit better than this, but I feel comfortable with them in the middle of the pack. You know, I think that's what their talent dictates they've got. Um, it's a it's a good roster, not a great roster. There's no obvious superstar on it, whereas last year, you know, Caleb Wesson coming in, say, okay, that's a guy if everything breaks right, could be first team all Big Ten, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, DJ Carton, that's a high school All-American. This team... You know, suing maybe becomes that kind of guy. I guess I shouldn't say they don't have anybody with that potential, but there's a little less at the top in terms of obvious horsepower that you look at and say, wow, that's a guy who could really just dominate games. And Holtman's had some of that. You know, he had Kata Bates Diop in his first year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then he had, then he had Wesson, who I think became, whether he was always actually that or not, you know, is debatable, but his production and his reputation put him in that spot. Carton was that guy while he was there. Um, I don't know. I don't know what that means. It could be that he's better off with a, a group that's a little more grinder filled, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think I know what to expect from them defensively. I think they'll be pretty good because they've just been good under Holtman and he's been a good defensive coach throughout his career. Offensively, boy, it's asking a lot to shoot the three as well as they did last. If they can do it again, as we said, it covers up a multitude of sins. 
Um, they had a bit of a turnover problem last year. It'll be interesting to see if that improves. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they shoot the ball better inside the arc, you know, with their best post player gone too, I might add. Um, can they be better there? I don't know. Uh, other than suing, I don't see a lot of guys in that perimeter group that I expect will be really difficult covers in terms of trying to keep them out of a lane. Yeah. You know, they're not a team that gives you a lot of threats in that way. There's a lot of jump shooters in that group, but a good team. It, here's what's interesting to me about Chris Holtman, and then we'll, I, I guess I'll, I'll have said my piece. Mm-hmm. I've been a fan, I was a fan of the hire, and I'm generally a fan of him as a coach. I think he's, a, I think he's proven to be a good coach, no question. But if I'm an Ohio State fan, this is year four. Uh, by this time, Thad Mata had Ohio State already in a national championship game, just nailing recruiting. Yeah. I mean, just if you remember, Mata had a run where he just year after year after year was ringing up the best recruiting classes of the last 20 years in the Big Ten. You know, he had the best like three or four year period, I would say, maybe more than that, maybe more like five or so. Mm-hmm. years um you know two absolutely all-timer groups he had that greg Oden, mike conley group and then the um the jared selinger group uh with, with all of that talent thad mata got things done and i think that he's been maybe a little bit unfairly uh forgotten about how good he was because of the way his tenure ended the last couple of years it slipped away from him and a lot of it was due to health. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember right before he was resigned or fired, whatever it was that came in the summer. And that spring I went to the EYBL event in Indianapolis and I noticed that he wasn't there. His assistants were there, but he wasn't there. That, if you know anything about how that stuff works, every major league coach in the game is at that thing. Mm-hmm. All it's a must for networking uh, just to be seen by recruits, um, all of that. And he wasn't there, so I knew the jig was up. Uh, but don't forget how good he was. And and in turn, don't forget how good the Ohio State job is. You are sitting in a great talent-producing state. You are the only high, high major. I mean, Xavier, Cincinnati, Dayton, those are good jobs and have good programs. But if they go head to head with Ohio State on a kid, nine point five times out of ten they're going to lose them. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't have to deal with what Michigan and Michigan State have to deal with theoretically, you know, um, or or other coaches in states where there's a lot of talent, but it's you know, uh, poor Steve Pico and Rutgers where he's got the world recruiting kids out of that state. Uh-huh. You know, he. It is a job where you, you've got all the facilities you could ask for, all the financial resources you could ask for. You've got a nice sweet spot in that people care about your program and they support it. But football is king, so it's not like Indiana or Kentucky or Carolina. You're not under that scope, but you have all the resources those people do. Mm-hmm. It's a great job. And so because of that, I'm of the thought, that anybody in that job, it's fair to have expectations that, hey, you should be in the Big Ten title mix most of the time. 
you should be in the national conversation most of the time. And I, I don't know that Chris Holtman has made good on that yet, and I don't expect him to this year either. So the question then becomes, is being a good program that makes the NCAA tournament consistently, is that enough? Mm. Well, maybe it is. But I didn't think so. And, and you know, it, it kind of does strike me as a be careful what you wish for thing. I don't know that Thad Mata could have turned it around where he was at physically. I, I just don't know. Um, but, man, Chris Holtman going into year four touched what Thad Mata did. Mm-hmm. Not even close. Thad Mata is the only guy that I think during Tom Izzo's tenure had any right to think that he belonged at the same table. Mm-hmm. Bo Ryan was close, but Bo Ryan, until the tail end of his career, really wasn't able to translate his Big Ten success into much in the tournament. In my mind, you've got to have both to be a true, like, you know, Bo Ryan's a Hall of Famer, but there's Hall of Famers and then there's Hall of Famers. You know, <laughs> Izzo's on one tier and Bo Ryan is on another because of that. Mm-hmm. And, and Fat Mata did both. Fat Mata won Big Ten championships and he got to Final Fours and he national title games. He never won one, but man, he got close. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, to me, if you're an Ohio State fan, I, I think that's a reasonable expectation. They should have the same expectation for their program as Michigan State does for its. Yeah. You know, that, that to me, that's the truth. They're the, they're the, they're one of three schools that I think it's fair to say that about in the Big Ten. The other one would be Indiana, who again has had failures <laughs> to meet that standard in recent years. But th- there's, in my mind, there is just no good excuse. And if you're not getting it done, maybe you're not the guy. So yeah. I don't know. I, I Holtman's not under any kind of hot seat. I'm not trying to say that. Clearly, that is not the case. But I just, I don't know. I mean, uh, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Thad Mata in the recruiting. Uh, you know, when you look at the freshmen they're bringing in here, it's nowhere near the level of uh, recruiting right. that you would think Ohio State would be able to bring in. Right. And, you know, and I look at their class, the guys they've got signed in 21, good players, you know, top 100 ish type guys. Mitchie Johnson was one of them before he reclassified. You know, it's not, it's not like he's, he's trotting out. You know, we talked about Mark Turgeon really having a weird recruiting year this year where he just had guys who were kind of way off the radar. It's not that, but Holtman is not really knocking it out of the park. I mean, that's why the DJ Carton thing was I think such a blow because finally he had he had signed a guy, okay, this is a guy who could be a superstar and is perceived that way. You know? And he doesn't even last a full year. That's really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. You know? Some of it is I'll admit, some of it can be cyclical. You can say, well, Thad was fortunate that in his first few years, Ohio and Indiana, where he had a lot of contacts from coaching at Butler um, were really strong in terms of producing talent. Sure, I'll, I'll buy that. And maybe there hasn't been as much but in Ohio while Holtman's been there. But, um, boy, I, I just think the bottom line is you expect maybe a little more than they've gotten thus far. So, to me, it's important for Holtman that sooner or later he have that breakthrough year where you know, he wins a share of a Big Ten title. He almost did that his first year. You got to give him his due. Yeah. Um, 
at, kind of out of nowhere where people had very muted expectations. So he definitely overachieved that season. But you could claim that was with Thad Mata's players, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tate, those guys were Thad Mata recruits. They spent most of their career under him. They were part of the guy, the group who got him fired. <laughs> so, um, you know, what's Holtman done? I just don't, I don't know. Okay, well, that'll uh, wrap up Ohio State. Next, uh, we'll have Indiana. Until next time, the Final Four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.